What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the 66 Letters. Today, we will be speaking on Respect the Elders. In today's times, there are so many pastors preaching and numerous social media outlets. There are ups and downs to all of this. In this episode, we'll be looking at what to do when these public figures misspeak or have error in their preaching. My bride, Brooke, will be joining me to ask questions and share some of her testimony. Let's get going. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to to preach Christ and to preach him crucified. We, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to glorify your name. Uh, in today's episode, we're, we're talking about social media and how to handle public figures when they um, are in the wrong or, or we believe that they're in the wrong. And uh, Lord, even podcasts, podcasts can become... Uh, a mess and uh, things can be misinterpreted and misheard. And Lord, I pray that for this episode, as uh, as we tackle a, a sensitive topic that a lot of people are passionate about, I pray that your spirit would give all of us uh, ears to hear, that our hearts would be receptive to what's being said. I pray, Lord, that any confusion that is sown by the enemy that your spirit would would put it out and that if there is anybody, anybody at all that, that feels differently and thinks differently than this podcast, I, I hope they will really truly that they will reach out and let's have that dialogue and, and those hard conversations because that is how we grow. That is how we spur each other on um, as you as is written in Hebrews 10 of love and good works and encouragement. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey y'all, my name is Brooke Stevenson, the proud wife of AJ Stevenson. I'm excited to be here today. Um, I know my husband and I have had many discussions on this topic and how disrespectful people can be on social media. And I know he's had discussions with other people on this topic. Um, I guess my first question would be, what would you say to someone, you know, in private, who may be guilty of publicly shaming a pastor or an elder of a church or someone in the spotlight? Um, well, (laughs) first thing that comes to mind is, um, stop, stop publicly shaming our, our church pastors, the elder, uh, an elder, or as you said, someone in the spotlight, um, public shame is not honoring in any way. Uh, Romans 12, three through 10 speaks of, you know, not thinking highly of yourself, um, having sober judgment. So that in and of itself, and we're going to talk more on it later, but it, it suggests that you have a posture of humility. And if you're publicly shaming someone, I, I firmly believe you cannot be coming from a place of humility if you're to do this. Romans goes on to talk about abhor evil, cling to what is good. And then my favorite part in this particular section of verses, outdo each other in giving honor. And I guess part of it would be are you giving like how are you showing honor by publicly shaming? And the answer would be you're you're not. Um, so the the next thing I would point out is you know with this public shaming, uh, it brings a lot of divisiveness and it really reveals a, a mean spirited basis of how we're operating. And I think this can really hurt our uh, our witness as believers. Uh, so, you know, Jesus said in, in John thirteen thirty five, by your love, others will know that you're my disciples. 
Um, you know, what is loving about, hey, this guy's corrupt. Shame be upon him. No one listened to him. Uh, that's not loving. Um, that comes from a mean spirit. Um, which brings up a point of something that, that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. So um, Jesus was going over some of the practical laws um, uh, or uh, Ten Commandments, rather. And he goes, you know, you've heard these things said. Um, and sure, you're following by the letter of the law, but let me tell you what the spirit of the law is. And one of the ones that he addresses is in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. And he says, you've heard it said uh, to those that of old, you shall not murder and whomever murders will be liable to judgment. Um, so he's, again, he's taking the law from the Old Testament and he's saying, hey, you've heard this and it's true, you shouldn't murder. But he takes it deeper and he says, but I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus is switching this from an external, uh, an external practice to an internal practice. Are you getting angry with your brother? Um, it goes on to say, whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And then lastly, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And I don't know about you, but hell of fire sounds pretty intense for calling someone a fool. Um, and I think that's what we're doing when we're publicly saying, hey, that guy right there, he's false, he's phony, he's fake, he's he's this kind of thing. We're, we're That's what we're saying. And this is saying, you know, for those of you that are doing it, you're liable to hell of fire. Um, and, you know, who who wants to incur the wrath of God for disrespecting someone? Yeah, you can count me out of that. Okay, so, um, and to look at some of this, you know, the, the Greek word for angry that's being used here is orgizo, and it means to be made angry, to be provoked. So, I mean, this is like a, a passionate anger, and I think we see that sometimes on social media. You know, we see people using all caps of, don't listen to this person, or or maybe they're all of their social media, all, all the posts that we see is just them bashing and bashing and bashing all these other public leaders, but maybe not ever... Maybe just showing who they actually prefer to listen to or what they believe in themselves. They're just so passionately against what they don't believe in. And, and it can create this mean-spirited anger that comes out towards them. Um, and then, you know, the word for fool that we were talking about in the, in the you know, most extreme example, it's a Greek word. It's raka, and it means an empty-headedness, a uselessness, a worthlessness. So, you know, how, how many people are guilty of thinking that? They won't say it out loud, but they'll, they, they're thinking that, of man, this person's preaching is useless. And I would say to that, God can use anybody. God can use even a messed up message to still proclaim his truth because the Holy Spirit is more powerful than, than anything we can say. I know in, when I got first started as a youth pastor, some of the things that I thought I understood of scripture versus what I would say today are, are very different because there came an understanding in my maturation with Christ. And, uh, and thank God he used, he still used me in these youth lives and they, they've turned out well. Um, but then of course, you know, what do you do when you do have, and, I, and I'm not going to name names because I'm not being divisive here. What do you do when you do have these televangelists and these prosperity gospel preachers? You know, do you think that their message is completely useless? No, definitely not. Um, you know, 
my mom actually came to know Christ through um, a well-known pastor, Kenneth Copeland. And, uh, you know, she she didn't know anything about, you know, the things that are said of him or all these things. All she heard was the gospel and God's truth, and she came to know him. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that, um, you know, to know that, that, she, that she had Christ. And even if it's because she listened to Kenneth Copeland, you know, it, it doesn't matter as long as the Holy Spirit is working, which he can do wherever he wants to. <laughs> right. You know, that's what matters. So... Awesome. Awesome. So I guess in closing this first point and and kind of summarizing your question, uh, I suppose the question I would ask of anyone is, is where is your heart in all of this? Are you enraged? Are you being self-righteous? Are you being a theological butthole about all of this? Um, If God were to examine your heart uh, when you're calling all these people out, would he find that your heart is pure or would he find that you have a lot of, of dissent in your heart? Well, I'm, I know that there's scripture that talks about having respect for those in authority, right? I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, there's actually a lot of spots that address having this respect for authority, having this respect for God-ordained authority. And, it, and, and a lot of times we don't want to think that it's God-ordained. Um, but what we'll do is we'll start off with Romans 13. So, uh, we're all very familiar of it, of, you know, we're supposed to subject ourselves to the authority so long as it doesn't violate scripture, then, you know, we pay our taxes like we're supposed to. Jesus even talks about that. So not just Paul, but Jesus talks about that when he's asked, you know, to whom should we pay tax? To whom should we give our money? He's like, Hey, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Um, so even Jesus demonstrated, you know, he may not like taxes, but he was still saying, hey, this is authority. Um, And then when we get into Romans 13, where Paul is writing, he says, all governing authorities are, or made, or excuse me, are a part of what God has put in place. Um, So uh, in the whole passage that talks on this, it's uh, Romans 13, one through seven, it says, um, one, that that we shouldn't be an avenger who tries to carry out God's judgment or his wrath, lest we incur it ourselves. So if we're going to be respectful and not be, oh, our government's stupid because, or, oh, so-and-so that's in office is dumb because, what we're actually doing is we're saying, hey, God, I invite you to bring your judgment on me because I'm actually openly disrespecting the authority that you put in place. Um, And that's the difficult part. That's the hard part is when someone in authority is... Um, taking advantage of power or is being abusive or a dictator like or is making choices that we don't necessarily agree with or don't desire for our own lives you know the latter part of verse one says for there is no authority except from god no authority except from god and those that exist are instituted by god so you know if you're pro the current president or against the current president or as far as a previous president, if you were pro or against, you should still have a respect, a reverence for the office because it was instituted by God. And so as far as respecting authority, the question would be, you know, are you being respectful of the authority that God has instituted? And, you know, I would encourage anybody think on that for a minute. It doesn't say you have to agree with it. It doesn't say you have to like it. It just says, to, to respect it, 
because God put it there. And I think if we, if we were to even go just from that verse alone, we would see a lot of differences, uh, a lot of positive differences in how we were able to relate with each other. Um, because I think we certainly know from a political standpoint, Christians are divided. We know from a humanitarian standpoint and a code of ethics that, you know, well, we think this and where we think that, and this person should have this. And I think if we were to just go, you know what, what God has set in place is what God has set in place. And we are just to operate in respect under that authority. We'd have a much different world that we're living in. Um, but to take it further. So, uh, so that was in Romans in first Peter, uh, first Peter five, Peter gives an exhortation to the elders of the church to be responsible. All right. So he charges the elders first. He goes, Hey, you have a responsibility. Now the elders being, um, any church leader that has anything to do with the execution of the, of the, of biblical teaching, um, and, or pastors and preachers. That's what the elders are as far as, as far as what's being talked about here. And Peter gives them an exhortation. He goes, you have a responsibility. And then he says, Likewise, you who are younger, so not necessarily age or chronology of younger, but you who are in the flock under the elders, all right, it says to be subject to the elders. So there's a command to the elders, and then there's a command to us. There's this expectation, this responsibility. And let me go ahead and say, just because the elders do not remain responsible in their part does not mean we get to be irresponsible in our part. We still have our duty as believers to uphold scripture and scripture says that we ought to be respectful and be subjected to the elders. So we should never at any point try to elevate ourselves above the elders. We should never see that, that we are the authority over the elders, especially if there's something wrong that's going on. We still need to be respectful. We still, again, need to be coming from a place of humility and, and, Later on in verse five, or in chapter five, it says to uh, to have a humble spirit. It says all of this should be out of humility, for God opposes the proud. Um, I I don't want God opposing me. Actually, I've I've had God oppose me in in my insolence and in youth and in my rebellion, and I didn't like it one bit. Like there was never a point that I was like, ah, oh, I think I got this. I will get the better hand. Like humility. Humility, recognition of, of who we are, where we are. Um, and if, we're, if we are operating in a humble spirit, here's the deal. We're not going to be publicly shaming anyone. We're not going to be speaking brashly against anyone. Uh, we're not going to be looking to slander or demean any leaders in public. Because um, I just don't think that it's, it's possible if you're remaining humble. Uh, if we really, really cared about the well-being of these leaders and holding them accountable, then we would find a way to do it without the shame and public malice. If we really cared about what they were preaching and teaching and we really cared about their soul as well, we would figure out, just as Romans twelve ten talked about, we would figure out how to outdo them in honor and keeping them accountable. And a lot of times we don't see that. Um, last example I would say um, that I just learned about maybe four years ago, uh, as far as having respect for authority is a story about Miriam, Moses, and Aaron, uh, in numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, uh, call Moses out for, cause he married a Cushite woman. He wasn't supposed to marry a Cushite woman. God had clearly spoken against marrying a Cushite woman. Um, but, uh, Miriam and Aaron, rather than just going to their brother and going, Hey man, 
you know, God told you you weren't supposed to be doing that. Like, you might want to reconsider something. Um, you can go read it for yourself. They they were ugly about it. They were like, oh, you're the prophet. You're the one that God speaks to. I guess none of us have that. You know, and it's like, it's like, man, like, definitely not the route. That was not truth spoken in love. Like, <laughs> I think we can agree on that. And so what ends up happening is, uh, you know, basically they try to be an avenger, like Romans 13 talks about. You know, do not be an avenger lest you bring judgment. And what ends up happening is God, show, he says, go to the place of meeting. He shows up in a pillar of cloud at the front and calls out Miriam and Aaron and goes, who do you think you are to call out my servant, my prophet? And then he strikes Miriam with leprosy. And when Moses, even though Moses was called out, Moses actually cried out on her behalf and says, God, would you spare her? And Aaron's looking at Moses going, dude, do something. She's going to die of leprosy because that was normal for that to happen. And even with Moses crying out going, Lord, just forgive her. Let it go. God said, no, she will suffer leprosy for seven days. She can find herself to the outside of the camp until she is clean. Yikes. <laughs> she, she mocked leadership. She mocked. She was disrespectful to the authority and God brought that judgment. So when you look at scripture collectively, you see that there is a right way to go about relationships with the elders. Um, or in Miriam's case, we learn what not to do as far as leadership goes. Oh, what a story. I wonder how many of us would uh, have leprosy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you think situations like TV evangelists and widely known pastors um, who may be in the wrong should be handled. Um, and what do you think that we're supposed to do? Or not that you think, but what does the Bible say about what we do with our own pastors? So that's a really good question. Um, actually, I had a conversation with, with a really great friend of mine, Hank Sharp, um, about this very topic of how does this work um, with what we see in Scripture versus TV evangelists and, and widely known pastors? Because... Um, in scripture, we see that it's, it's, it's really a private matter that's going on. Um, and when I made this point to him, he, he, he said, uh, he goes, well, but they didn't have televangelism back then. They didn't have people all over, like literally being broadcast all over the world and they might be speaking mistruths or they may be, you know, giving out a false gospel. Um, and, and I thought that Hank had a really good point to that. Um, but I still think that there's, a little bit of a guideline that we can go by, and we're going to look at scripture for that, certainly, because you're right, it doesn't matter what I think. Um, this is about how things should go. So, so you know, when Paul write, wrote all of his letters, he certainly called people out. But when he would write that letter, that letter was to a specific church, um, and he sent it only to that specific church. He didn't send it out to everybody and go, hey, y'all watch out for Matt, because he's, he's being a dummy right now. He only wrote to that church specifically and said, Hey, so I hear that there are some among you. And sometimes he'd leave it kind of vague like that, but he would give this situation to where everyone's like, Oh, we know who that is. Um, one of those examples being in Corinthians, he says, there are some among you that the sons are having sex with their father's wife. So, so to, yeah, uh. there are sons having sex with their moms. And Paul's addressing it. And he's like, I tell you this, if they're calling themselves believers and they're, 
and the, you know who they are, and they're 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 having sex with their mom, and they see no shame in that, and the mom doesn't see shame in that. I tell you, don't even sit at the table with them, because you don't need to be a part of that stuff. So, but again, it was specific to that's what was going on in Corinth in the in the city of Corinth at the time, um, which we can kind of expect because Corinth was well known for. Um, advances in methodology of uh, sexual perversion. <laughs> so um, so Paul is like, hey, let's not do this. But again, it's to the church in Corinth. He doesn't write Ephesians and say, hey, by the way, <laughs> guess what's going on over in Corinth? Right. You know, right. he left it there. So, you know, to that end, uh, I don't know that we should still be publicly doing it. Although I think there is a route that can be taken, and, and we'll get to that. The other thing that I do want to point out is, you know, the friend's response was, you know, there should still be accountability. And and I agree. There should be some form of accountability, um, especially if they're going to be public about their misinformation. Um, but maybe it should still be handled differently. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I don't really know the full answer on that. I, I mean, some people do think that they should call out a televangelist because televangelists are out there, you know, publicly doing it. But again, I come back to, is there, are you honoring that person when you're doing it publicly? I still, I think that there are other avenues that we could go about that. Well, and also like if you're on social media and you're calling these people out, what difference are you really making by doing that? Other than showing that you have this anger and this discontent and that's not right. what we should be. That's not what we should be showing. Like mm-hmm. it would be much more effective to people who are following your social media to be talking about things in love and things about what you believe and things about that you're learning in your church and things that, you know, obviously if you're going to a church, you support the pastor and what they're saying. So why not share that stuff instead? Right. That would, that would certainly be a, a more positive note to, to be putting in things. Um, and uh, I guess part of it would be, you know, could we enact church discipline? Um, is that something that we could use, uh, you know, to to hold people accountable? But certainly, I I think overall, and this is my opinion, I will state that um, social media is not the way to call them out. Definitely. There are other avenues, and uh, you know. You, yeah, there are just other ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you really feel convicted about you know calling this person out, then write them a letter, send them an email, find something you right. know, to where you can still communicate that, and you you feel like you've done your part, you feel like you've you've answered that conviction that like okay, I really need to say something to this person, and you know it doesn't have to be on social media, you know it doesn't have to be in this negative light. Right, because most people that are that big, right, mm-hmm. that, are that much in the spotlight. Right. They have a website. Absolutely. Their church does. They do. Um, or maybe they have a Facebook. But even on Facebook, you can send a private message. Yeah. You don't have to post it on their page. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, are you are you sending direct messages to this person? Because I, I think that that would be an honoring way. And even then, obviously, you'd have to be mindful of your rhetoric. You know, you can't just yeah. be like, I think you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it would still <laughs> be, not. hey, man, I heard your sermon on this and you said this and I... I just want some clarity because what I see is, you know, there, there's a way to do it. Definitely. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, you know, the church discipline aspect. What does scripture say exactly about that part? Let's let's go over that real quick. Yeah. So um, I think the most clear, well, yeah, the most clear place that we see it is in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And it, and it is Jesus talking. So, um, you know, I, as much as I love Paul, 
I'm a big fan of Paul. There are a lot of things I can relate to with Paul um, from a, you know, former Pharisee standpoint uh, to coming to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think Jesus's words trump Paul. Now, Paul certainly never writes anything that counters what Jesus said. But, man, if we can find something in Scripture that Jesus himself spoke to, that needs to be what the Absolutely. authority comes from. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus w- writes this out. And he says, first off, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. All right. So if we're talking about the pastor in our church or someone else in our church, or if we're talking about a public public uh, figure, um, go to them, just you and them alone. And the, I guess the question would be, you know, for the, those that maybe are a part of this public shaming, I would encourage you, hey, write them, just like we just talked about. Get with them one-on-one. Now, yes, they might be big enough that they have like a ministry team that kind of fields the, the emails and everything, but it's still a matter of you're keeping it private and you're going to them just one-on-one going, hey, I want to have a conversation about this. Yeah. Um, and that needs, we need to have more individual conversations. We need to spend less time going, hey, I can't believe so-and-so did that. We need to go to that person and go, hey, man, how do I love you through this? Mm-hmm. Because here's what happened. Um, the second thing Jesus says is if they don't listen. So if you go to the person, they don't listen, then you take one or two with you. So if you go to the person and they repent of it, there is no reason. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you go to the person that has wrong, said something or done something wrong and they repent and y'all are restored, there is no reason to let anybody else know about it. It was supposed to be just between you and them. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that once you're good, you just go to everyone and go, hey, so here's what so-and-so did, but it's all good now. Like That's gossiping. Definitely. <laughs> so if they don't listen, then you take one or two. Now, here's the trick. You don't just take one or two of like your best buddies that can help be confirm, you know, give confirmation right, right, like, right. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to take objective people. Sometimes that is another church elder. Sometimes that's just a, a third party person that maybe doesn't have as invested an interest of the dynamics of y'all, so that they can objectively look at it and go, hey, you know what? Actually, this isn't anything. You're you're being oversensitive because oh, would we want to hear that? This person wronged me. They they're wrong and they're not listening. It hurts. To have someone objective go, actually, you're you're just being overly sensitive. Right. They didn't wrong you. They didn't do anything. But if we're really going to be in keep, if we're going to really keep in scripture, then we need to take one or two objective witnesses with us. Um, and we see this uh, a bearing a witness. We see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Jesus is talking about in the New Testament, but even in in the Levitical, in the Levitical law. It's written that, hey, there should be one or two to bear witness because with that two to three, you now actually have a proper testimony of what happened instead of just hearsay um, and everything. And then if they still don't listen, (laughs) so if they still don't listen, so again, so let's say you take the two or three, Mm -hmm. all right, or you take the one or two with you. We'll say two. You take two with you. There's three of y'all that gets involved in this matter. If it resolves at that time, the three of you should never speak of it again to any other person. Because right. now it's resolved. Right. Then, if they still don't listen, then you take it to the church. You find in a group, uh, an objective church group within your church, and you say, hey, we need your help in this matter. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to apply this to public figures, one, have you written them even on your own first? Mm-hmm. Two, have you included them, have you included objective witnesses into the conversation 
with it? And then two, have you taken it to the church? Now, this part gets a little tricky, and here's why. At the very beginning of verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you or speaks against you, well, that public figure, guess what? He might be errant in his teaching, but he's not sinning against you. Mm-hmm. He's not doing anything personally against you. Now, you might feel slanted because you're like, hey, that's that's not true. That makes me angry. I don't like that being said. Mm-hmm. But he's not your brother that has sinned against you. Right. So even in full church discipline, should you even really be writing the pastor? Mm-hmm. Well, if another, you're not a part of that church. Another thing is that, like, if you're just calling out these public speakers because you saw something on social media, are you actually part of that church body? Are you are you an active listener of that person? Do you, do you check in every Sunday online and listen to them? Then you would have a place to, to reach out to people, you know, if it was a, a sin against you. But, you know, if, if you're not, then you're just... You're just publicly shaming people. Right. You're not. You're not actually following any sort of biblical guideline. And there. are you are you taking any time to actually glean the good that is coming from it? Right. So I mean, you may disagree on a point, but that doesn't mean that everything that they're saying is wrong. Mm-hmm. And you can still learn something from that. Absolutely. Um, and then of course you know on so like a lot of times this is on social media, right? Like I saw on Facebook this clip of Stephen Furtick or, <laughs> yeah. um, or I or John MacArthur. I saw him talking or Joel Osteen. Let me throw a few names out there. You know, yeah. we see all this stuff, dude. Scroll on. Yeah. If you already know that you disagree with this person on the on, on the whole, just scroll on. That's the beauty of social media and honor that person by not just speaking out against them. Don't right. don't spend all of your energy speaking against those right. people. Definitely. Um, now I know some people may disagree with me of this and, and this is where I, I always, you know, I want the feedback, but, um, we can't count every person that speaks on the internet as a personal grievance against us. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, so I guess, you know, my last question would be, why is it important not to speak out publicly and nastily about this? You know, I know we kind of touched base with a few things, but in conclusion, why? You know, why is it important not to speak out like that? Yeah. So besides the already mentioned about, you know, we should be speaking with honor. God has placed these people that uh, public pastors aren't our personal pastors. Um, there are actually a few different points. Um, and, and I will say, you know, uh, another guy that I know, uh, his, his name is Jay Osman. He actually wrote a devotional for SoulCon um, that basically spoke to this. Uh, and he and I ended up having some more in-depth conversation from that devotional. Um, and so I just want to share the points that he made because they're, they're spot on. So the question I get, the thing that comes to mind for me is what's at stake when we're being like this? When we're just calling out everybody and we're being ugly and, and we're divided on all this stuff, what impact does that have? Right? Because we're supposed to right. be making an impact for the kingdom. But are we really making an impact for the kingdom when we're being so divisive with our words? Mm-hmm. Um, and the point that Jay made was, one, what about the new believer? The new, like, like your mom, you know, yeah. how, how much would that have affected your mom if she had become a believer from Kenneth's teachings and then everybody came to her and said, oh my gosh, you're not really a believer because it was Kenneth Copeland. Oh my geez. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, definitely. it would have a negative mm-hmm. impact and she may not have actually grown 
yeah. for the time that she could have into the maturation of Christ that she that she was able to. Right, definitely. Um, which then, basically, that means you're being a stumbling block to a believer mm-hmm. because now you're making them second guess and doubt and wonder and that's right. not what we're supposed to be doing. Right, instead of just going to them and being like, hey, you know, I heard you got saved, you know, like, let's walk together. That would be great. <laughs> right, right. Or make a recommendation. So instead of speaking against, making the recommendation right. of, hey, someone I've really grown off of is, insert whatever that name is. Right, right. And so, again, you're not dishonoring the the other person and you're not speaking nastily about them. You're just going, hey, as a new believer, I would encourage you, this is who helped me in my faith. Right, for sure. And then, of course, leave it to them for the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another impact. Um, the unbelievers. Man, how many times... You've probably heard as many as I have. How many times do we hear unbelievers go, why would I want to follow Christianity? Look at how they treat each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, definitely. And look at how we're treating each other because, uh, you know, you know, person A says, oh, man, I love listening to Stephen Furtick. And person B goes, oh, it's all about John MacArthur and Stephen Furtick's a dummy. And then person C is like, well, what about Joel Osteen? I mean, I, I think his stuff has a pretty good message to it. And, and then person D comes in and they just obliterate everyone. And they're like, no, yeah. none of them, yeah. only Jesus. <laughs> you know, and it's like, geez. Like, yeah. And then if all it shows is a bunch of discord. And so then a bunch of, uh, and so a lot of the unbelievers look at it and go, uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Right. Um, and then the question that I would say we would need to ask ourselves is just, are my words, are they causing division or are they bringing unity in the spirit? So if I'm going to speak in this moment of any of the leaders, is what I'm going to say going to unify us in the spirit where they're encouraged? And just like I earlier you know, prayed about from Hebrews 10 of stirring in love and good works and encouraging, are my words doing that or are my words causing this person to now feel torn down and now began to be conf- confused, which of course comes from the enemy. Well, I don't want to play a part of being the enemy. Um, and so I guess my final thought to, you know, why is this so important is how is what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how is that advancing the gospel? Right. And if it's not, then I need to stop. Um, it's absolutely okay to share what you believe and what your opinion is on certain pastors. Um, but I do believe it needs to be in private one-on-one with other believers. So, you know, if someone came to me and said, Hey, what do you think about pastor a Mm -hmm. in a private conversation? I would say, I don't prefer them. There are a couple of things I don't agree with or believe in. I tend to go with this person, but if you are growing in Christ by listening to this person, the Holy Spirit trumps anything that we would ever be doing. Absolutely. And Amen. that, but again, that needs to be a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we start having more private conversations, that's when real relationships also begin to build. And that's mm-hmm. really where the kingdom starts to grow as it needs to. So thank you for all the questions. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. As always, my hope is you're spurred on to be more like Christ and that God is glorified. If you have feedback of any kind, I welcome it. Catch y'all next week on The 66 Letters.